It's time to go into auto reverse with Tony and Matt, where we look at bands that are underappreciated, misunderstood, forgotten, and to some unknown. This week, we're going auto reverse on the Good Rats. So this week we have, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We have someone, a listener and a friend of Tony's suggested we do uh, a band that uh, is from, you know, our, around our parts, uh, Long Island, um, that kind of r- ruled the, the area from what, you know, good old Brian tells me, the things that I've read, uh, the Good Rats. And we're happy and fortunate to have uh, Brian Kelly on the line with us to kind of take us through all things the Good Rats and give us the lowdown in this band who knew how to throw it down. Yeah, so the Good Rats or the G-Rats, um, there, there was a time. G, G rats is that G rats? G rats, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So there, there was a time in New York where, where the music scene was really um, bifurcated. I mean, you had the downtown clubs and uh, the New York City proper clubs, like the Manhattan clubs. That was all happen. It was all punk rock. It was all happening then, punk rock and disco. That's what was happening in Manhattan and a little bit into Brooklyn. But everywhere else around the area, like in Lower Westchester, you know, Yonkers, White Plains, um, out on the island, uh, from Queens outward, and then Jersey, stretching to about where, where Tony grew up. Um, it was a club scene. It was a straight rock and roll club scene. And the kings of that scene were uh, the Good Rats, Twisted Sister, and Zebra. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me what you, what was the name of Zebra's hit? To, uh, tell me what you want. Yeah, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, squeeze me into spandex and and perm my hair, and I'll record you a couple of albums of ultimately forgettable <laughs> light alloy metal. You know. Yeah. <laughs> now, Twisted Sister was interesting. In that, like, when I first started seeing them, they were just flat out wearing dresses. It wasn't, it wasn't like they hadn't evolved all that makeup and the spandex and like um, the kind of "I'll kick your ass" transvestite look. It, it was dresses. And so they and toned it, it. They actually toned it down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not. So, know. Oh, that's great. So, so at the time, Twisted Sister was doing probably like. 90% covers. You know, mm-hmm. they would do um, Sweet Jane for like 20 minutes and, oh, you know. God. So, and and uh, Zebra, they'd come out and they'd do a Zeppelin set and then in the second set, after everybody left, they'd do their originals. And, you know, obviously with other bands thrown in. Now, the G-Rats would turn me on so much is that they were stone-cold originals. They weren't covering anybody. They're writing their own shit, producing their own shit. And um, that's what really attracted me to them, besides the way they sound. I mean, I've heard you fellas uh, discuss before how you get turned on to bands. I heard the Good Rats over the telephone. 
I was. Yeah. <laughs> I was. Please, I was, please tell that story. How did that happen? Yeah, so I'm, I'm talking to my girlfriend, my high school girlfriend, and um, she's at her friend Flo's house, and uh, I can hear. I think it was the room was the name of the song, playing in the background, and I was like, "Ho ho, who the fuck is that?" And that was it. I was I was off and running, man. She goes, she asked Flo, and she goes, oh, "It's the Good Rats," and so they were very accessible at that time. I mean, you could go see them two, three times a month if you could afford it, or four, five, six, seven, eight times a month if you were willing to drive twenty miles. And um, and uh, at that time, like I was seventeen, I think my girlfriend was sixteen, but. But in New York, um, the drinking age and the age for clubs, it was more like a height requirement for boys and um, <laughs> a, a, a being pretty requirement for girls. So, you know, if you were yeah. if you were like tall enough and the girl was pretty enough, you could get in anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian, what I was going to say is that it <laughs> helped frame this a little bit. Because one of the things that I didn't really know until I did looked up is like they, I mean they start got together in like in fucking sixty four. Yeah. So the time you're talking, I you know it said that they played mostly in the the Rockaways in Long Island, but what? Give me a time period of like where you just got to be the seventies, right? Seventy eight. Seventy eight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Seventy eight. And so the, the original band was was Pepe Marcello, who was um. He's always been the driver, you know. He's the uh, oh, I don't know, you know. He's the Frank Zappa, you know, right. of the Muscle mm-hmm. Invention, you know. Yeah. So it was Pepe, and then some guys he went to school with at St. John's, mm-hmm. and then little by little, those guys dropped off or did this or did that. Then he got his brother, his younger brother Mickey, to come in, and um, Mickey plays guitar, rhythm guitar mostly. And then by about 72, they had, like, the classic Good Rats lineups. What what people in our area think of when they think of the G-Rats. It was Peppy singing, uh, Mickey, uh, John the Cat Gatto on lead guitar, Lenny Kotke on bass and backing vocals, which is absolutely key in this band. And then mm-hmm. Joe Franco, who was just a monster on the drums, a very busy drummer. Yeah. Now, this is a band that they had absolutely every advantage. I mean, they got signed to Warner Brothers, you know, for the Tasty Records. They opened up for everybody. You know, I mean, they opened up for Styx, Rush, uh, Bruce Springsteen, on and on and on, Blondie, on and on and on. And, um, they even used to, uh, WNEW in New York, you know, big-ass radio station, they used to do a live broadcast of the uh, Good Rats every Easter Sunday from my father's place, you know, at mm-hmm. night. So where, where was that club? Was that club in Port Washington, my father's place? I forget, man. It, yeah. but it, it was right around that. Rosalind. I, I saw Rosalind. Rosalind. Okay, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. It. Yeah. Which and that was a really good club. I mean, they had like forty foot long tables, and it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I mean, the rats had every opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not like um, 
some bands who, you know, they, they never got a record deal, so they had it all d- DIY. Right, right. The Rats always had really good production values on their records, and, um, you know, they got out in front of people. Well, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, like in your... And your uh, playlist that you made, I mean, they're the, the, and you told, you said like, look, they're better, they were much more impressive in person, but their lot, their recording stuff is solid. Like the production oh, is yeah. solid, the songwriting solid, the, var- the variety, they're not trying to be one trick ponies and shit. It's, it's a, what impressed me was to the, you, that main nucleus you're talking about, like they had, they the drumming and bass were locked in, but dynamic, and the guitar playing was hot, and yeah, and, and Pepe had a fucking had some pipes on him. He can go ballad, yeah. he go ballad to a fucking a rager, uh, you know, a ripping song, and it didn't. He he can he could he could pull it off in spades. Yeah, so. yeah, and he could compose, you know, and arrange, which is which is key. I mean. There's guys out there with unbelievable, perfect voices, but they can't write, you know, and, and writing is, is key to everything, you know. I I think, you know, when I think about why they didn't hit, um, it's like, because I used to, I'd be listening to the radio and I'd hear like Bad Company and Foreigner, this is like in 78. And I'd be like, where the fuck are these guys making money and the G-Rats are playing in some bar? <laughs> right. I, I couldn't understand it. And it, and it. and it seems like they had, you know, they got, they had enough exposure. Like, even when they did tour, they seemed to play in big places. And they played in, you know, the Garden and Hammersmith. And, you know, they, they, they it seems like... You know, having everything go their way, and they just didn't. They landed with a like they just never caught on, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting because the point you said it's not like they were down on their luck. It's like they got they got a steady crowd of people coming to their shows. They the, uh, bands who had hit it had them open up for them and spoke uh, what you know spoke their praises. I mean, there were some yeah. you know. You know, Journey and Kiss and those guys would all talk talk highly of them, but they were just a you know one of the best bands around, best rock and roll bands around. So yeah. it, it's just puzzling, and I don't know if how much it's tied to their fucking name or not. You know, people just don't want to be associated with any fucking rats. <laughs> I don't or know. Just a, or, or possibly the the way they were perceived as this sort of like regional or lo, you know local phenomena, rather than this band that could achieve. Uh, national, international success.
problem with the G-Rats, one of the problems was, say, you go to a show, right? Mm-hmm. There is, when you went to a show, like, I'm thinking contemporary bands who made it huge, like like Blondie. When, right. you went, when you went to go see Blondie, everybody in the audience either wanted to be with Blondie or be like Blondie. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you go to a, a G-Rat show, and now these guys, like you said, they, they look like local hangout guys. They look like the crew from your local car repair place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and Absolutely. They didn't, they didn't dress well on stage. I mean, Pepe yeah. used, he, he used to wear like gym shorts, uh, ridiculously high 1970s athletic socks with the stripes, yeah. and a jean jacket. You know? Yeah. So, so there's absolutely no sexual tension going on with the band. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of that. Zero. Yeah. It's zero sexual tension. And because they were all like pleasant guys, mm-hmm. you know, they did, they did have that, that typical New York or New York area kind of, um, they could go with them, hey, how are you? To, you know what? Go fuck yourself in three seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they would, so they were, they were pleasant, and they they smiling. So there was no dangerous tension, yeah. uh, like on your Celtic Frost um, episode when you're talking about how those guys were fucking scary. Yeah, right. That wasn't happening with the G Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these were guys that you'd you'd want to hang out with, but you wouldn't necessarily want to emulate or um, or hang out with for a short time. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't like they were. They didn't. There wasn't anything captivating or anything that kind of. There was no mystique or anything. Right. They're too, almost maybe too yeah. too accessible. Well, yeah, that's the th- that's the thing. They weren't building mythology. They were there. They were present. They were everywhere. I mean, I just from reading their backstory, it's like they they were hardworking, out there, like always out there guys. And I, I think that's where the perception gets fucked up. It's like people are like, hey, I don't, they, these guys have no edge there. I could see them whenever I want, you know what I yeah. mean? And maybe that worked, that worked against them. Um, especially like, like you were saying, Brian, in that time of, of like punk disco and what, you, what, what, what one may consider a sexy music time an edgy time. They right. were not that edgy, so yeah, I could see that. Not at all. I mean, they were they were technically proficient. Mm-hmm. I mean, and their their back their vocals, you know, the way uh, Peppy and Mickey and Lenny Kotke would blend their voices, it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Joe Franco, I'll put that guy up against anybody on the Skins. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I saw him warm up for Rush, and um. Not that I'm a Rush fan by any stretch of the imagination. I was going to see the Rats, but um, <laughs> Neil Peart was no better than Joe Franco. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah. I mean, he hear him. He's a he's a busy motherfucker behind that. Yeah. Guy. You yeah. know that, that was a you know, and the thing is like maybe kind of even comparing him to an Aerosmith because they're like they're like that same like they're not like they're more technically proficient than Aerosmith, but there's maybe it is that mystique. I mean, the drumming, like Joel Kramer's drumming is by far not as up to the level as Joe Franco does. Not even near it. And I would even say like, you know, they maybe made a little bit catchier songs, but there's something else about their music that 
and maybe even performance-wise, they kind of elevated them a little bit more. And maybe it was just a fucking having a killer ballad, you know, is is another reason why they got elevated a little bit more than the, the G Rats. All those kind of well, things, those little things, maybe add up. I, I would I would posit that um, that Joe Perry has a more recognizable guitar style than John the Cat. Yeah, John the Cat. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, so that's. I mean, John the Cat Gatto is very, he's proficient. I mean, he's sparkling clean. He plays a thousand notes a minute when he wants to. But it's not like you're going to throw on a G Ratch record and go, oh, that's John the Cat. Nobody sounds like him. I, yeah. mean, I mean, like when you hear a Brian Setzer record, I don't give a fuck whether he's playing with a marching band or, or, or a, or a <laughs> right, three-piece right, right, right. three uh, rockabilly combo like he was the last time I saw him. You know it's Brian Setzer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one hey, other thing. go on. I was—I'm sorry, I didn't—I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that, that, this conversation is sort of like—it's uh, begging the question for me. How how would you compare them to say, um, like, Blue Oyster Cult, for example, another band from the same area, similar oh, back, similar backstory? Uh, like, why did they make it? And not the good rats. Is, is what was it about, like for example, Blue Oyster Cult that like stood that made them make like you know had them make it? Was it so songwriting? Was it style? Was it because I don't necessarily look at, at at Blue Oyster Cult for example and think oh they're edgy. You know, I mean maybe uh, it was their sound that was it. Maybe it was their sound that was edgier. Uh, I, I'm not, they, but they, yeah, I stage presence, stage stage presence. Okay, yeah, I, I mean. I've seen I've seen a cult a couple of times. Yeah, and um, most notably on when they had it honed uh, on the Black and Blue tour. Yeah, they had the fifty foot Godzilla monster, and they at the okay the show, yeah yeah at the end of the show they turned around. Everybody played guitar, and then like three of them turned their guitars around. There was mirrors on the back of the on the back of the guitars. There was lasers hitting off the mirrors. They were shooting them all over the garden. And for those of us who had uh, purchased Mike Without Mescaline before the show, it was fucking phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, the G-Rats, like when I saw them warm up uh, for Sticks and Rush, they came out and they did, um, you know, two separate events. They came out and they did their club show. Mm -hmm. They didn't, like, like, they didn't know how to expand to fill that lar larger stage. Uh -huh. Their music was spot on. They sounded just like they always sounded. But they did their club show. They didn't know how to right. translate their expand, stage presence. Expand their stage presence. And, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. I'd right. also and I'd also say between those two, like the cult, like Blue Oyster Cult's music is a little stickier. Like it's they stay, it stays stays with you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. Either thematically riffs or you know, like, you know, Transmaniacon MC and you know. Uh, uh, what's that other song that I like? Uh, Hot Rails to Hell or Seven mm -hmm. Screaming Dustbusters. Yeah. It's like that shit. It's on like, fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that stuff sticks with you a lot more. And the, and the G Rats, their songs are great, but they don't, st I, for me, they don't stick. It's like, it. I wouldn't say it's like a bar band, but it's like something, a, a, like the, the highly, the most elevated form of a bar band that I could think of. Because it's like stuff that gets your feet moving. You're engaged with it, but once it's over, you're moving on to the next thing. It doesn't, 
it doesn't make you yearn for anything more at least yeah at least for me right yeah all right well that my my question is answered <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean they were never disappointing in a bar i mean it, it was um Tony, when you said before that perhaps they were too accessible, they always became like a fail-safe. If you had like eight together, like four couples, and um, say three of them wanted to go dance and uh, another three wanted to go see a punk band or something, everybody could agree on the G-Rats. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, you know, and, and it even became a thing with like me and my girlfriend and my circle of friends is there would be an excuse for us to see a new club. Like when Hammerheads out on the island, when, when that opened up, yeah, late 70s, early 80s, um, you know, we had heard about it. It's supposed to be this great club. We were thinking about taking a ride out there. But then, the, you know, the commercial came on and the rats were playing there. We're like, okay, now we'll go. Because even if the club sucks, the rats will be good. You know? So, so they became like a failsafe like that. Um, and, you know, I, I used to, I used to, you know, I had like a, a crappy old Valiant when I was in high school <laughs> and after it, but I was delivering flowers for a flower shop and I had like a 72 Cutlass station wagon. So I, you know, for the flower shop delivery. So on nights that I knew we were going to go see the rats with a bunch of people, I would take the flower shop delivery car home and I'd put like eight, nine kids in the station wagon and go to a G-Rat show. Ah, mm -hmm. nice. nice. Yeah. Got to the point, we saw them so many times that they would, um, Peppy and Mickey would actually come to me and my date after a show and say, what are you thinking of a new song? Blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 Years later, when, uh, when everybody else quit or moved on to better things and none of this is included on the playlist, um, Peppy and his sons Toward the G Rats, and they actually right. put a couple of records out. And I, I took my my wife to see him, and she had never seen him before, you know. And um, I took him actually in the same venue that uh, our mutual friend uh, Greg Vegas and Dana yeah. got married in. Um, so I, I took him. I took Dana to see the G Rats, and and I was just wondering if Pepe would remember. And he came out between sets. And he walks straight over to me and he says, hey, how are you? And I said, Pepe, I'd like you to meet my wife, Dana. And like in, in perfect, like New York style, he looks deep in her eyes. He takes his mitts and he puts both of them over one of Dana's hands. And he goes, oh, sweetheart, you could have done so much better. Great. <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw that. It, it seemed like the, the songwriting uh, fire never really went out with with Pappy, it seemed like he was even busy with the, they him and his uh, they did he did like a side project even after the the, the Good Rats ended. Um, yep. They stayed until his death. He stayed pretty active in writing and performing. No, he was like he was like the spirit of rock and roll, man. He was just in there swinging, you know, and and working and working hard in clubs every night. And it must have been like a good life for his family because two of his sons ended up playing with him for like 20 years. It wasn't like, you know, we hate dad. He's on the road all the time. So, yeah. so I don't know. Wow. 
I, it, it's fascinating because it's like the I had no I didn't you know the, going on this journey about this band it's like I had no idea about you know I was exposed and I, Tony could say how he got exposed to him but I like uh, Dean Rispler did a Long Island show on Gibby, uh, on Gibby Metal and he went off and talked about the Good Rats and how they were probably the ugliest band on that were ever were on a cover of an album. But they, but they were. He's like that. You could not, you could not beat them live. Yeah, yeah, they were just phenomenal live. I mean, and, and their audience was so uh, tuned into them. You know, the, there's always the core, like five or six or seven hundred people at at a large club that go specifically to see the band. And then there's like another three hundred. I who were just there right. to be at that club that night. And um, the audience liked them so much that at the end of the first set, they would end the first set with a drum solo. I mean, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and um, But it was fucking great. They'd do Clash Kebab, the place would go nuts, and mm-hmm. then they'd come and they'd open up their second set, and in some cases a third set. Um, but, but I mean, that's how tuned in the audience were. You know, you expected a drum solo, and we probably would have been upset if we didn't get one, you know. Who goes yeah. looking for a drum solo? Yeah, it's funny. They, uh, I mean, I, 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 I heard their name locally, like you mentioned at WNEW, and I'd heard their name over the over the air. And I didn't know much about them. For me, it was like like it kind of like what the whole spirit of the show is—a sort of reassessment. I, I went back into their thing you know, almost 15 years later when I started the record label, when I started TP, I was, um, I went to some convention in France, this music convention, and this guy in his 60s found me. I, I was actually there with Dean Rispler, uh, oddly enough. He found me and gave me this book. Uh, he's this French guy that was about all, like, the history of hard rock and proto and proto metal proto punk it was this book that he did that he wrote uh in french but then translated really poorly into english and he there were all these bands in there like sir lord baltimore captain beyond uh black cat bones all like sort of history of like the more like second third tier hard rock and uh sort of proto metal proto uh proto punk bands and um and i remember there was a whole like two pages dedicated to the good rats and it was a co- and he had the cover of the first album with the rat on it and um that's kind of how i got back into it like it was just like and i was like wait this was a local band you know like yeah. i grew up in new jersey and i was like but now i was coming at it from a totally different i'm in france this french writer is giving yeah. giving me this <laughs> book that he wrote slapping like, you with the I, book and, yeah, and yeah, he like, and then I was like, and it was kind of like, oh, oh, th- yeah, like it was like this like aha moment where I'm like, you know, this was so close to me, yet I was too young to appreciate it, and now right. I'm thirty and smoking weed every day, and now I could app- now I could appreciate it. I'm ready, and I, and that's kind of like that's what this whole show's about. It's like. You know, we're you know, me and Matt are caught in between generations where we're, you know, we were too, uh, you know, just too young, but but not, but even though we were too young, we 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 have the desire, and we've always had the desire 
So whether we find out about it in 1978 or we find out about it in 1998, it doesn't matter to us. So um, Good Rats were an example of one of those bands that, like, you know, it took me a long time, but now here we are dedicating a half hour plus to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, Tony, you guys are just like, I don't know, you're, you're early 50s, right? So Yeah, yeah. I would, and I'm 60. And I would say yeah. that anybody from like 57 to 70 who grew up in, uh, let's just call it the tri-state area. Yeah. Uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Saw the good rats or had an awareness of them. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're, they're ubiquitous. So, so I mean, everybody knew about the G-Rats. Uh, here's something interesting. Um, and, you know, you as a KISS fan. On <laughs> 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 um, Great American Music, uh, the 81 release, that's when John the Cat Gatto finally split. And this is Bruce Kulick's introduction. Oh, right. yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So so he's on guitar on that one. And um and that that and, and the bass player also split for most of the song. So so even though that's it's a good kind of rockin' album, um they they lose that, that vocal harmony that I really liked, right. you know, the two March brothers and Kotke. Well there's but just, it, it, yeah, there's there's no better way, and Tony, it's his dream ending when we when we when, sh when the show closes with a note about Kiss. Oh, give me a break! Here we go! Here we go! Oh. You're just setting it up for the rest of his day. Is just gonna be one set yeah. sunset. I'm gonna, gonna be. I'm gonna go trim. I'm gonna go trim weed now for the for thinking about this for the next ten hours. There you go. But, and by and by the way, I. I it, you know that you know weed's legal here, right? And um, well, it's legal in New York too, but they they're mu much more further along in cultivation uh, technology here. So that's what I've been doing for the last like three days straight, operating out of a garage, just trimming bud nonstop, and it's got my like my eyes are hurting and my and I wow. smell like weed. It's crazy. But uh, you're usually pro you're usually promoting your shows. And yet today, no, no, I'm, promo I'm pro promoting a marijuana cultivation. That's what I'm promoting yeah. today. <laughs> That's a nice change. See, I'm glad you you got that out of them, Brian. It's like you know, it's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so, one one thing, one thing I'd like to add, uh, Tony, uh, Matt. Yeah. Do you know Vegas? Do I know? Say that again. Do you know Greg Vegas? I don't think so. The name doesn't ring a bell. We, I, I've, t I've told, I've told him about Greg because they yeah. live in the same neighborhood. They live okay. relatively in the same neighborhood. I've told him about Greg. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I used, to, I used to just torture Vegas and and Debbie b before she was even his wife. I, we'd all get really drunk at parties at my house, and then we, we'd end up in my basement, and I would just pound them with, the, with the G rats and the early scorpions. <laughs> he's more of an indie guy vegas right a little bit oh no ab absolutely yeah he's turned me on to probably 30 bands just he's a great source i mean yeah, he puts out yeah. Those, uh, those playlists for uh, declared goods 
Uh, oh, for his little label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I, and I always find a band or two that, that I dig, you know. He, he turns me out to these bands, and then I end up having to buy the whole fucking catalog. He's cost me thousands over the years. Yeah. <laughs> he's, another, he's, a, he's another life for like us when it comes to music. The guy's just like nonstop. He's the one that actually got me a, a, one of my, um, I guess, he got me a distribution deal through ADA when he was still there. Uh, yeah. I, I want to I say like almost 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, he doesn't live too far from you, Matt. You should. Well, next time I'm in New York, I'll uh, I'll introduce you to him. He's he's just he's like us. He's you know he's another yeah. right. lifer. Uh, you know, like a uh, smart guy. He knows a lot of. He likes uh, a lot of good shit. Doesn't have a lot of uh, patience for idiots. You know, he's the uh, best. None. What? Well, uh, none. I, Zero. Yeah. Well, if you have time next time in New York, I would love to meet him. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, Brian, thank you so much. I mean, you, I mean, this is this was not only a like a revelatory discussion about this band, and this is and like Tony said, this is the reason why we did do the podcast. Is bands exactly like this that you know are mostly unknown or not appreciated as much as they should be. So we really thank you for the you know not only the suggestion, but you know finding the time to come on and talk to us about it because this, this has been great. The stories about them in the background. Thanks, man, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and and talk about the D-Rads for a half hour. So usually it costs me like a case of beer, and I have to lock people into my house. So <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we may have to do that one. The others think about talking about early uh, scorps because that's a, that's something that I know we could easily fill a half an hour with. So. Yeah, we we might have to pull you into that conversation as well, Brian. I'm a thousand percent, man. <laughs> All right. Yeah, All right. I'd love to do that. Well, is there anything? Let us know what you think about the show, everyone. You could just uh, hit us up on Auto Reverse at Auto Reverse Pod at Gmail .com or at Facebook and uh, Instagram. Uh, and then until next time. All right, peace. <laughs>